Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Golden Black Radio as we take a look at this week in Purdue Athletics. Here's your host, Kyle Charter. Purdue is finishing off June strong in football recruiting with a couple of more commitments last week and likely more to come. Our thoughts on Jeff Brown's efforts and the class overall, plus Jaden Ivey in Detroit, and more on the Gold and Black Radio podcast. Kyle Charters here with Brian Duber. Tom Deanhart will be by here in just a few minutes to talk a little bit more football as well. So, Brian, uh, Purdue gets a couple more commitments off the weekend. It does seem like uh, maybe there will be some more here uh, this week. But P.J. McWilliams, the first wide receiver for Purdue in this 2023 class from Indianapolis, will help the defensive end from Carmel commits as well. I think that's now 11 commitments. It does seem like Purdue will get a little, a uh, few more here before the end of June. It, it does seem like uh, Purdue is putting together a pretty good class here. Yeah, they seem to be doing okay. I mean, I, I don't know if they're they're putting together a class that's going to, you know, make national headlines or anything like that, but I think they're getting good players. They're getting players consistent with – what's worked at Purdue over the years, um, good substantive guys who seem to be choosing Purdue, you know, for the right reasons, things like that. I, I think, you know, from here on out, you got to get some offensive punch here. Uh, you've put together a really nice defensive yeah. class. You've put together a really nice defensive line class uh, specifically. But, um, you know, as I've said multiple times here, uh, I think the biggest thing that could have happened this, this June was Purdue solidifying things with Ricky Collins the quarterback from Louisiana, every indicator right now is that's happened, that's happening. Um, obviously, there's still a long way to go, and a lot of dastardly individuals down there who are going to be looking for quarterbacks here over the next couple weeks and months. But um, I think that, uh, you know, Purdue's doing well. Uh, they have to get some They have to get some offensive punch now. Um, you know, that's kind of – what this weekend was sort of about. They had a bunch of wide receivers in. It's uh, I don't know if any of them are like the you know the four star you know five star types of guys, but um, obviously players Purdue likes. Uh, I, I anticipate multiple commitments you know coming off this weekend here, uh, and then on top of the fact that you know once June ends and July first rolls around, that's when all these guys have taken their visits. That's when it's crystal clear to all of them who wants them and who you know, is just kind of lukewarm on them, stuff like mm-hmm. that. And then there's another another run of decisions that comes. So I would anticipate Purdue here in the next week or two, you know, um, close to, to doubling its commitment total probably if um, things play out the way they might. Uh, with Collins, I think we had talked a month ago that, that, you know, things might shake out a little bit more from a quarterback uh you know, nationally from a quarterback recruiting perspective, once Arch Manning uh, decides wherever it is that he is going to go, and he has now done that to Texas. If there was to have some shakeout from that that involved Collins, would you think that that would happen here in the next couple of weeks? I mean, as you have said, it seems like he's in a better position than Purdue, uh, maybe than he was uh, a month ago. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the people who are recruiting Arch Manning, you know, probably knew a few months ago that, you know, that probably wasn't going to go their way too. So, yeah. um, it's not like this is all just 
no one else has been recruiting any other quarterbacks. But, you know, um, and it certainly isn't just the SEC. Obviously, the the one, the teams that are really coming after Ricky Collins have been Florida State and Oregon, uh, neither of which are in the SEC, neither of which were factors for Arch Manning. Um, You know, there's been some speculation LSU might come after him. Um, Why they didn't in the first place, you know, is probably a direct reflection of what we're talking about here is that, you know, they put all their eggs in the Arch Manning basket. Um, But um, it seems to me like like he's he's pretty good with Purdue right now. Um, And I'm going to keep saying right now because you never know what's going to happen here in the next (laughs) couple weeks and months. But, um, you know, he has he has talked. He has said things that a player who ultimately has an open mind, you know, wouldn't say out loud uh, in terms of his uh, the firmness of his commitment to Purdue. So I, I, I think that's, that's, um, you know, a very positive thing for Purdue. And as I've said multiple times here, that's the, probably the biggest thing that could have come out of June for Purdue Uh, more important than any recruit they could have gotten uh, outside of maybe a couple of them. But um, that's a big deal for Purdue. You know, we have talked about it a little bit here, and, and I know you've written about it, including today, just, you know, in an era where you have the NIL, you have the transfer portal, how you probably have to recruit a little bit differently now uh, than you did uh, years ago. For instance, I'm I, I'm not sure that the, that the Danny Hope approach to recruiting and recruiting so heavily in the South and Florida um, would work these days <laughs> just from a trying to keep kids who do have some tie to your school at your school long enough to be able to develop them and have them become players at your school with this class at least this year for Purdue it does seem like it's got a little bit of a regional component trying to recruit guys who are a little bit more local who might then be more at your school or do have some ties uh, to your program already I would imagine that your college coach, you have got to keep that um, at the forefront right now. That you don't want a class that after two years is just completely gone. Well, you know, I I, I don't think that's I don't think that's a reflection of the unique circumstances of right now recruiting. 100% of your recruiting class from the Southeast was never going to work at Purdue. And that, that, yeah. that was, that was plainly obvious. And um, to anyone who, you know, has kind of been around recruiting for a long time, um, that it's just, it doesn't work you, you, from a cultural perspective, from all sorts of perspectives, you, you can't recruit, you know, a hundred percent of your recruiting class from somewhere else, especially, um, you know, the Southeast, um, it didn't work at Purdue when Danny Hope tried to do it. Um, it wouldn't work now. Uh, it won't work 20 years from now. Um, it's just, it's just not good business. And, um, you know, what you're seeing right now in terms of this class being much more, uh, built around Indiana and surrounding States and things like that. Uh, that's what Jeff Brom and his staff have been doing. That's what, that's what Daryl Hazel was before Jeff Brom. Um, that's the way 
you ought to do it at Purdue. And you still have to go into Florida. You still have to go into Georgia. You still have to go, you know, here, there, and everywhere for speed, athleticism, and things like that to sprinkle in among, you know, the players you get from your recruiting base. But um, Purdue was trying to build its classes from the Midwest out uh, before, um, you know, the transfer portal and NIL. Um, It just so happens I think this is a class that lines up where there's a lot of central Indiana guys. There's a lot of uh, Indianapolis guys that are kind of that salt of the earth uh, sort of program Mm -hmm. guy type of player that, you know, historically Purdue has needed to get, Purdue's had success with, things like that, the Dylan Thienemans, the Will Houts, the Winston Berglunds, um, et cetera. And then obviously Purdue's been able to get back into Kentucky a little bit this year, uh, you know, kind of more of its traditional recruiting comfort zone uh, for Sadiq Clements and um, Micah Carter, uh, things yeah. like that. So it's just kind of worked out. But I, I, I don't think Purdue has shifted anything philosophically in terms of who they're recruiting uh, because of NIL and, and the transfer portal. I think it's just kind of been a reflection of the way they've been doing things uh, you know, yeah. prior to all of this. Yeah. What – this is an unanswerable. I don't know what the percentages have been in the past. Maybe you have a little bit better idea, but what do you, what do you think the percentages will be going forward at uh, big 10 schools in terms of how many guys stick around for four years in football? You have any idea? It probably, what will be the the number? Will it be like 25%? Will it be 50%? Are you talking about like a full five-year college experience? Yeah. Are you talking four years? Are you talking get uh, out of the freshman years. year? I, I, I would just call it four years. I have no idea. It, it, it'll depend on the school probably. It'll obviously depend on the players. Um, yeah. It'll depend on how many, how many um, high school players, um, you know, schools take every year uh, because obviously people are going to be going to be heavy into adding transfers too, in addition to losing transfers. Um, So you might Mm -hmm. curb your, you might curb your high school numbers uh, ever so slightly, but I mean, I can see scenarios where whole recruiting classes are gone, you know, within two, three years. Yeah. Uh, You know that, you know what though, if you look, if you look at the data, if, if you track things, that wouldn't be all that dramatic a shift because as things stand right now, you could go back through and I'm not saying this is a, this is anything specific to Purdue, but if you right. go back over time and you look at those classes now going all the way back to Teller, going all the way back, you know, to Hope Hazel, whatever, you can look at those signing day press releases and you can see 20 names that, you can come out of that with like five guys who made it to their fifth year, uh, you know, things like that. Right. That kind of was already the nature of college football, but now that it's just so much easier, I think you see more guys, you know, who aren't necessarily hopelessly buried on the depth chart, um, you know, stuff like that, leaving after their freshman years. I could see situations where, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just throwing numbers out here, but I could see like schools signing 20 players in December and then by next December half of them are gone um you know yeah. six six seven eight of them are gone whatever it might be and then by the time 
your three rolls around, you're down to like two or three guys in a recruiting class. But you know what? That that's maybe that's not the worst thing because if you sign 20 guys and you get four or five players out of it and you build your program around three or four sets of those three or four guys who make up your core and then you get the right yeah. transfers around those guys, um, maybe that's the game nowadays. Uh, you know, it, it's an entirely different it's an entirely different model now than it used to be. Um, so when guys leave, you know, if they aren't those foundational guys for you, um, it might not matter all that much. It's going to be when you develop a player and you get him to year three and he's going to be a good player and then he bolts. That's when yeah. he's really going to burn you. But a lot of these guys – a lot of these guys who leave are going to be guys who are going to leave as unknowns. They're not going to be, um, they aren't going to be situations where you know what you're losing necessarily when you lose them. Right. And I mean, even you can look at Purdue here over the last year, right. And, and uh, perhaps I'm missing someone, but you know, Marvin Grant is the one that sort of jumps out as you as the, the one being the real impactful one, at least the one impactful one for this season. Maybe some of those other players uh, develop into something down the line, but um, you know that's the one that really stands out as the one that was a a surprise and be impactful right now. Yeah, and also a cautionary tale for the transfer here because, like, okay, you just left the starting job in the Big Ten. Um, yeah, for Kansas. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd imagine that's not. I'd imagine that's not what he planned when he left Purdue. But um, yeah, that's now. Obviously, Marvin Grant's not a star. He's not. He wasn't going to be All Big Ten anything like that next year. He could have been by the end of his career, maybe. But um, it's a hole you have to fill now. But it's not like yeah. you just lost your best player. Uh, you know. Right. What people have to understand about Purdue is people look at it like, oh, places like Purdue are going to lose all their best players to somebody else. Well, Purdue's not the bottom of the food chain here. You know, it, it, no. it's the mid-majors. It's it's the low-end high-majors, you know, that I think are going to are gonna get hurt by this. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think Purdue is going to – I don't think Purdue is going to sign really good players, develop really good players, and then lose those players. You know, it's not like David yeah. Bell or George Karloftis after their freshman years are going to be like, "Oh, hey, I'm 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 starting in the Big Ten. I'm 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 a star. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my name in the portal now and see what I can do," because those right. guys could have gone to the places that, you know, they go to out of the portal out of high school, and they didn't. They went to Purdue. Um, so I I don't think this is a situation where Purdue's going to get ever picked apart by the transfer portal. I think. You know, the other way around, I think, you know, some of those really good players who go to mid-majors who, who come in the portal, Purdue will get some of those guys. Um, but, um, you know, you know, Marvin Grant, Malik Carr are a couple examples of, you know, some guys who were good recruits who, who Purdue lost who would have been contributors for them. I assume Malik Carr would have been a contributor. I don't know. We have no way of knowing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was, a, that, that was a strange situation, too. Let's move on. Talk a little bit of uh, NBA basketball. Jaden Ivey gets uh, pick number five. He goes to uh, Detroit. Uh, seems like a good fit. I mean, it obviously, seems like a good fit from a 
family point of view, that was pretty cool what the the Pistons did uh, with the, the, the jerseys and, and all of that for his um, grandfather, his, his dad, and his mom. Um, it seemed like that was the way things were going to unfold on Thursday night, and that's the way things did unfold. Um, but it does seem like it's a pretty good spot for Jaden Ivey to play basketball. Yeah, it was. I mean, he slipped from four to five, but I, I think he's one of the big winners individually of this draft um, because, A, you ducked the death sentence of going to the Sacramento Kings, um, which, <laughs> by the way, they, they they basically told the Kings don't draft him, um, you know, for, yeah. for a variety of reasons, not just because the Kings are bad, not because they're trying to, you know, um, call the shots here on, on the draft, but because of, you know, some of the stuff they've done in the past with their guards, a lot of the, the, these guys who are also represented by the same people as Jaden Ivey, I think it was a good situation for Jaden Ivey just to, just to duck Sacramento. And I think that it was classic Sacramento Kings that you have the number four pick, you have a bunch of teams trying to trade up to get it, um, you have the New York Knicks who are desperate to trade into that spot. And when New York Knicks are desperate for something, they tend to do stupid things. Um, <laughs> and you yeah. you, uh, you were told not to draft the best player at number four. So you just didn't. You just drafted somebody else. <laughs> instead, yeah. of, instead of leveraging that pick into, into a bunch of assets for, from the Knicks, from the Wizards, whoever it might have been, you just take somebody else. You just yeah. take somebody who's not as good as Jaden Ivey. And it's just – that's why the Kings are the Kings. Um, you know, Keegan Murray's a nice player, but Keegan Murray's at peace. He's – he's yeah. he, he does not have the upside Jaden Ivey has. Jaden Ivey has the potential, clearly, to be the best player in this draft one day. Yeah. And I think putting him next to Cade Cunningham in Detroit, I, I think could be like a best-case scenario for everybody involved. Um, I think the Pistons are a good young team uh, with a plan, and I think that that's a potentially great backcourt, you know, sooner rather than later. Uh, two guys who can grow together. Obviously, he's he, he's closer to home than he would have been um, most other places mm-hmm. other than Detroit, Indiana. I think that's a, that's a big deal for him. Obviously, he's got some history with the city of Detroit. That's another positive. Um, I think it's a great situation for Jaden Ivey. I think he was one of the one of the really big winners of this draft in terms of individuals. Yeah. Um, now it's just kind of up to him to, to kind of deliver on it. So, um, yeah, that was a great situation. I, I thought from day one, uh, the Pistons and, and the Pacers uh, both could have been really good fits for him. The Kings would have been a bad fit. You know, De'Aaron Fox would have been a redundancy yeah. with him. They can't move him with his contract. They've invested in Davion Mitchell. Obviously, the Kings are the Kings. Uh, you're in the lottery every single year. I think that the Pistons yeah. uh, were the best in the first round or of the reasonable uh, landing spots for Ivy, and uh, things worked out for them. Yeah. All right, thanks, Brian. Yep. See you. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll bring in Tom, talk a little more football. Uh, we'll do that coming up next. This is Golden Black Radio. 
It's time to boiler up and join the Brahms squad by gearing up with the best selection of Purdue apparel in stock only at Follett's. Visit the Black and Gold Mine store across from Mackey or Follett's Purdue West on State Street for the best game day apparel from Nike, Columbia, Champion, Cutter and Buck, and more. Shop Follett's late on game day weekends. Follett's has been your Purdue game day stop since 1945. If you can't make it to the game, shop online at FollettsPurdue.com. Experience unparalleled comfort, service, and cuisine at the Whitaker Inn. This Midwestern oasis is perfect for a relaxing staycation or weekend getaway. Escape from the ordinary at the Whitaker Inn. Designing and building since 1968, TNW has changed the way people think about construction. TNW's three-stage approach to designing and building is unmatched throughout the construction industry. Learn more about TNW's people, passion, and projects at TWDesignBuild.com. Often, things are worth more than they seem. For Purdue grad and NASA astronaut Jerry Ross, incredible value was found in the Purdue Alumni Visa, not just because of the exclusive Purdue card designs, but for the unlimited cash back and out-of-this-world visa benefits. Discover the official Purdue Alumni Visa credit card. Apply today at PurdueFed.com. Purdue Federal Credit Union. Belong where you have worth. Federally insured by NCUA. On the far end of Main Street in downtown Lafayette, you'll find East End Grill, Industrial Classic. The restaurant is built like a steakhouse, but handles like a bistro. East End Grill's menu includes creative starters, simple chopped salads, burgers, fresh fish, and steaks, and the signature shrimp and grits. The staff prepares every item from scratch and emphasizes simple meals that incorporate fresh, local, and seasonal ingredients. A warm and inviting dining room features a cozy bar that includes a great selection of craft beer, inspired cocktails, and a robust and expanding wine list. Whatever your entertainment needs are, a cocktail at the bar, dinner with family, or a special event in the private dining room, the energized and attentive staff is here for you. East End Grill in downtown Lafayette, welcome to our table. Welcome to Golden Black Radio as we take a look at this week in Purdue Athletics. Tyler here with Tom, talk a little bit of football. The big news, of course, uh, here recently, Tom, has been the number of commitments that the Boilermakers have gotten couple of more over the weekend. We do anticipate uh, some more this week. I know you've been trying to keep up as much as possible talking to uh, some coaches of those players. In my experience doing that, all the high school coaches always had great things to say about their players. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure they have here with uh, Purdue's commitments as well. But uh, what are you learning about some of the guys that Purdue has committed yeah, you know, just trying to get some intel, Kyle. You know, how, how the players use, the type of school the kid goes to, the level of competition he's gone against. I still think a lot of good things can be gleaned to give uh, give readers a little deeper dive uh, on, on who just committed. Um, you're right. Uh, you know, Will Held, a big six foot six Carmel defensive end. They use him as a stand up outside linebacker right now, so he's going to have to learn how to play with his hand on the ground. Um, you know, John Hebert, the head coach at Carmel, does a great job. It's kind of interesting. They've really gone into Carmel here and done a great uh, a great job getting the Greyhound players. Right to get Winston Berglund. In April, he's probably going to be a linebacker. Of course, Cole Brevard was a Carmel Greyhound. He transferred from Penn State over the offseason. Mm-hmm. Dylan Downing, a running back from Carmel from UNLV a couple of years ago. So Mark Hagan and company have done a good job going to Carmel, just Indianapolis overall. And uh, one of the other public commitments 
from this bountiful weekend was another Indianapolis kid, the wide receiver T.J. McWilliams from North Central. Uh, head coach there, Kevin O'Shea, of course, at Central Catholic. Way back yeah. in my day, uh, when I was in high school, he was a star player at McCutcheon. Great guy, and uh, he had, uh, you know, T.J.'s a little thin right now, but he's a guy with a lot of upside. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, that, that's obviously a big school, one of the bigger schools in the state. So he goes against some good competition. And I guess the one neat in, insight there was the fact that T.J.'s father played at Louisville with Jeff Brom and, and uh, Purdue's director of player personnel, Mel Mills. So they had a little in there to begin the conversation, I'm sure, with T.J. So more to come. Um, seven commits. I believe uh, they thought they had eight. One didn't materialize. Uh, put something on the message board about that today. So, again, yeah, look for some of these, these guys to go public here, I would think, in the next week or so. So the, the total number from the weekend turned out to be seven? Jeez. <laughs> that, 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 counts, that counts Will Health and T.J. McWilliams. So there's at right. least five other guys uh, – who committed over the weekend who should be going public. One of them has already announced he's going he's to make his, uh, his pronouncement on Friday, I believe. So, yeah, just stay tuned. Like I said, it's always kind of fun to see, for people to see who these guys are. I always like to, we always like to let the kids have their moment, if you will, and, and, and yeah. surprise everybody with their commitment, right? So uh, we like to respect that and have them make that pronouncement. But, yeah, that's, this class is really doubled in size real, uh, real quickly here, you know? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit of scheduling because you're uh, you're going through a series on the site about some of the uh, oh the scheduled nuances I guess for Purdue here coming up this fall. One of them, uh, Tom, that was pointed out on the the message board is that just the fact that Purdue only has six home games, which is a little bit yeah. uh, a little bit different. Why does Purdue only have six home games? I'm not sure. That's uh, that's something I know I've, I've spoken to Bobinski about in the past. Not ideal, right? Um, I know the schedule in the Big Ten flip-flops your conference games. One year you have five, the next year you have four. So obviously the one year you have four, you got to try to get all your non-conference games at home. And I don't know how contracts were negotiated if it was so long ago that there wasn't a lot of foresight put into it. I'm just not sure. But, yeah, you'd like to think most Power 5 teams could have seven home games every year for obviously financial yeah. stand, uh, a financial standpoint. But, that's not Purdue's case this year. Um, it's just sort of a fun exercise I like going through every year with the schedule analysis, Kyle, sort of breaking things down. Easiest game, non-conference, conference, you know, best chance to pull an upset, best chance to be upset, uh, toughest stretch of the schedule, things of that nature. Who they miss, who they're not playing this year. Um, it's sort of a fun look at the schedule. And, you know, I'm gonna, tomorrow, Kyle, I'm going to post a story I did. I, I got four or five, I think, pretty good feature stories that's still on the unveil here uh, going into July, but one's going to be Tuesday. Uh, uh, this last Thursday night, Kyle, I rode around with one of Lafayette's finest, Danny Anthony. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Did the rounds uh, with, with Danny. A lot of fun, so I uh, hopefully fans will keep your eye out for that and uh, uh, just sort of a fun way to catch up with, with Danny and his new career and kind of get a taste of what it's like to do police work and again, uh, you know, just sort of a f- f- fun to see Danny and talk to him too. Did you get you get involved in anything out there? You get, <laughs> fight some crime I while thought, you were I, cruising around with the former Boilermaker. 
I, I told him to come by your house, and, and, and we, we were going to read, yeah. but he thought that was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I said, that Kyle Charters, that's a rough neighborhood. Let's go out there and kick in the door and yeah. see what he's got going on back yeah. there. <laughs> Certainly so. Rough neighborhood I live in, that's for certain. All right, Tom, we're out of time. We'll look forward to that story. That'll be great. I'm looking forward to that. All right. Take care, buddy. All right. Thanks, Tom. All right, that'll do it for uh, the podcast for uh, this week. We will be off next week for the holiday and then uh, back for this Monday podcast again in a couple of weeks as we start to gear up toward that football season right around the corner. All right, that'll do it for the podcast for this week. Uh, thanks to our sponsors and for Brian Newbert and Tom Deanhart on Kyle Charters. Thanks for listening. This is Golden Black Radio.